We are continuing our series this morning, uh, following Jesus online. And we just want to consider, what does it mean, what does our online life tell us about who we are individually, corporately? What does it mean to follow Jesus? If Jesus had a Facebook account, Instagram account, Twitter account, etc., how would he manage it? How would he deal with a conflict? How would he understand community? And today's sermon is entitled, Leave a Comment, and we're looking specifically at how we handle um, conflict and dialogue uh, in the virtual world. And we know that this is, this is, you know, for me, I know that this is a major issue, and I've been thinking about uh, talking, talking on the subject for a long time, uh, just because I see, the, I see the need as I observe uh, my own life, and I'm, you know, if you ever get in a texting argument, you know it doesn't go over very well, or, you know, these Facebook comments that, um, that just keep going and going, and there's misunderstanding, there's confusion. It's easy to misunderstand people over text, over written messages. Uh, for example, you know, if, uh, if you texted your wife, uh, you know, are you good if I invite Bill and Sarah over for supper tonight? Uh, honey, are you okay if I invite Bill and Sarah over for supper tonight? And she responds by saying, sure, explanation mark. You know, you can assume that this person on the other end, your wife is very happy about having Bill and Sarah over supper. They enjoy the company of Bill and Sarah. If your wife responds by saying, sure, period, it communicates something radically different, doesn't it? It could communicate, uh, well, I actually, it is Mother's Day, and I just assumed that you and the boys were going to hang out with me. It could assume... You know, I don't like Bill and Sarah. Could you please invite somebody else over? Or maybe it says, I know you enjoy hanging out with Bill, but I really don't enjoy hanging out with Sarah, so can we invite somebody over that we both enjoy? It could mean any of those things, but you're never quite sure, but the period leaves the doubt. Or maybe a question, do you mind picking up some hamburger for supper? You know, my wife might text me that, and I respond with, you bet. And, you, you know, she, she can assume that, you know, I'm in good mood, and when I come home, I'm going to have some hamburger ready to go, no questions asked, but maybe somebody responds to the question with the letter K. <laughs> Isn't that drastically different? The letter K is like, you can assume they're going to get the hamburger, but they might not actually be too excited about it when they get home. Or, yup. And, you know, I've surveyed a few people on the yup with the you, and I've got a variety of different responses for what they think it means. And some think it's fine. Other people think it means, uh, similar to the K, I'll do it, but I won't be happy about it. You know, why couldn't you get the hamburger? I've been at work for the last nine hours. What have you done today? Some people read that into the yup. Other people don't. It might be safer just to go with the yep, which just, t- just put the E in instead of the U communicate something drastically different, it's, the E makes all the difference. But maybe one of the most passive-aggressive texts ever is just simply, you know, you say something to somebody and they respond with a, ha. Huh. That's the worst. I don't know what to do with that. It's like, what if you said something to somebody and they just look at you and they're like, ha. Huh. And that's all they said. How do you read that? So this, this online world, it is, it's tough to navigate, it's tough to understand what's going on, and needless to say, sometimes it's incredibly difficult to communicate what you're feeling, what you're sensing, or understanding what the other person is saying through text 
most of us have some sen- some have, have some common sense. Like we probably wouldn't throw something like this uh, up onto the screen of our Facebook account. That's the wrong. The other picture. Yeah. So most of us wouldn't say, hey, I just got a new credit card, check it out. Uh, probably not the smartest thing. And guess who's got your credit card number now? Me and 269 of the rest of your friends. So there's an element of common sense that we might have. Um, but I think we've all, been, we've all made the mistake of texting, communicating, commenting, uh, and being misunderstood or misunderstanding somebody else. And have you ever seen a Facebook conversation just go south really, really fast? A couple of comments, and then there's 10 comments, and there's 20 comments, and you're like, this thing's out of control. Uh, and then you're like Homer Simpson, and you're just checking out. This is entertainment. Um, it is tough. It is tough to navigate this world, how to communicate well in an online culture. And so in the time we have remaining this morning, I just want to consider a couple of passages. If, we're, if we are serious about following Jesus, it doesn't just mean following Jesus um, you know, in the real world. It also means following Jesus in the virtual world. Uh, but obviously Jesus didn't have the Facebook accounts and uh, you know, the internet and iPhones and all that stuff. Uh, but I think that he gave us enough teaching and insight that we can navigate our current context. So if you have your Bibles, I want, to, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse, verses 15 and 17 we're going to look at here. And so this reads, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others and you will and go back again, so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. How many witnesses? Two or three. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church, then he or she won't accept the church's decision that sorry, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So challenging teaching from Jesus, and obviously this goes well beyond um, you know, talking about communication in the form we are today. This is just good advice with how we handle relationships and conflict in general. But how do we begin to understand this, apply this into um, our online world? My guess is that we do the exact opposite most of the time. Let me explain. Uh, in the text here, Jesus says, you know, someone sins, and it says sins against you. But it's more likely that what was originally written was just if, you're, if someone sins. And that someone is brothers or sisters. So the context is relationship. If someone you're in the context of relationship with sins, and not just against you, but sins in general, then you go and you confront them and you talk to that person. If you're unsuccessful, you take one or two other people and you go and talk to that person together. If they still will not listen to what you're saying, then you take it to the church. And what it means by take it to the church isn't necessarily, or isn't, you know, come on stage on Sunday and, you know, point out that person's faults. 
and sins in front of everybody. It just means go to a person that is in some form of authority over your life and theirs and try and mediate the, the situation there. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or corrupt tax collector. You know, that sounds very harsh, but I would just like to point out that who's speaking this? Jesus. And how did he treat pagans and tax collectors? He befriended them, showed grace to them, had dinner with them, was accused of, you know, keeping company with them instead of more religious folks. So I think that's important to keep in mind. But I think what, what happens often is we do the exact opposite that Matthew 18 says. Instead of going directly to the person, we go directly to the crowd. Instead of dealing with the situation where there's sin or there's fault or there's hurt, and we go to that person, we go to more than one person. We go to a crowd of people because the thinking is, and this is, you know, this is classic mismanagement of conflict, is that if there's more people that agree with me, then I must be right. And let me just say from the get-go that the more people that agree with you doesn't mean that you're right. The more likes you have in a comment doesn't mean that that was actually the right comment to make. But it's human nature to rally people to your side, you know, and then maybe take a couple of people, go talk to somebody, and at least when you talk to them, if they disagree with you, or there's some kind of fight that breaks out, you can respond with the comment, well, I've talked to so-and-so-and-so-and-so-and-so, and all of these people, and I've heard this here and here, and I'm not alone in what I think. And then we use that as weight to make our point known. And I'd just like to point out that the context of this whole thing that, Matt, that Jesus is saying is relationship. It's relationship. If you actually want what is best for the other person, you deal with it face-to-face. And I would propose this morning that this wasn't like, well, they didn't have technology back then, so of course it's face-to-face, but if you know, Jesus was around today, you know, he'd just say something on, he'd just throw a text out there. I don't think he would. I think the face-to-face thing was true in the first century. I think it's true in the 21st century. That if there's fault, if there's sin, if there's hurt, instead of going to the crowd or instead of going to two or three, you go directly to the person that you're in relationship with. And if you're not in relationship with them, then what do you do? What do you do? So this is not saying talk to some others until you get enough folks on your side to make your point. It's not saying allude allude to it over social media through vague uh, points and conversations, hoping that the person is going to understand and leaving room for misunderstandings, which is actually what happens. There is a time to be corrective to a person, and Matthew 18 explains it. This is the situation, be corrective. Someone hurts you, there's sin and you're in relationship with them, you go to them directly. But outside of that scope, let me, let's consider uh, another passage that will bring in just to balance out Matthew 18. Matthew 13, verse 24 to 30. Uh, let's read it. I'll read it. You can follow along. Uh, Here is another story Jesus told. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. The farmer's workers went to him and said, Sir, the field where you planted, where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did they all come from? 
An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and to put the wheat in the barn. And this idea of weeds here, it's the, the word that's actually used is referring to uh, this degenerated type of wheat. It's, it looks like wheat, but it's not wheat. It is a weed. But sometimes it's hard to distinguish between the two. And so the disciples are asking, hey, should we, or in the parable, the workers are asking, should we just uproot the weeds? And they're told, don't do that because if you try and uproot the weeds, you're actually going to hurt the harvest. If you try and uproot the weeds, you're going to hurt the harvest. You know, if you have um, if you if you have kids, you know it's Mother's Day. You know, I was talking to Lisa about this, uh, about times where your kids try and help you, but instead of helping you, they're actually hurting you. Oh, hey, mom, can I help you cook? Can you help me cook, or am I willing to take an extra half hour to cook? Mom, can I help you clean the windows? You know, Silas loves to help Lisa clean the windows. And I guarantee you, Lisa, you know, if there's 10 windows in the house, instead of cleaning 10 windows, Lisa's actually cleaning 20 windows as she goes behind Silas. I want to help, but you're actually hurting. I think that this passage has so much profound truth and wisdom for us in our world today. I can't tell you how saddened I get uh, when I see people that are following Jesus, people uh, that have good hearts. And, and this is the thing in this context, is, is the workers here had hearts to do the right thing. You know, if they uprooted the weeds, in their mind they were doing the right thing. They were being helpful. But how often do we try and help God at his job and actually hurt what he's trying to do in the process. How often have you viewed, you know, a Facebook conversation where, you know, someone had this opinion, this soapbox, this thing, that they were convinced that this was on God's heart, and people just needed to know, this person needed to know, this group needed to know, and it created this amazing, or amazingly long, intense conversation, and at the end of it you said, I wonder what good came out of that. Did someone just try and uproot weeds out of the garden only to actually harm the harvest that God's trying to produce? Do our soapboxes and our opinions actually, even if we feel like they're surrounded by the heart of God, if they're said in the wrong way, in the wrong context, do they actually hurt what God's doing? And I think it's, prudent to, think, to consider that Jesus had a message for the world. It's called the good news, the gospel. He had this message for the world, and he knew that a simple text wasn't enough. It had to be delivered in flesh. Jesus had a message for the world, and he knew that a simple text, or the Bible, the written word, wasn't enough. And so he asked, God actually believed that he had to deliver that message in the flesh just to make sure people understood, to, just to make sure people got it, just to make sure that there wasn't assumptions made. He wanted to be as clear as he possibly could. 
And so he delivered that message in person, in the flesh. And let me just say in light of Matthew 13 that it is not your job or my job to separate the weeds and the wheat. Now, is, that a, is that a good word for the, the 21st century church or what? It is not your job or my job to separate the, wor- the weeds from the wheat. In fact, John 17, and I've, I've preached on this passage a lot, I won't go there now, but it talks about the importance of unity in the church and that the unity of the church testifies to who Jesus is. And if we're so concerned with pulling weeds and we create disunity in the church, what are we testifying about Jesus? It's not your job. In fact, uh, it wasn't even Jesus' job. If you look at John 3.17, it says this, God sent his son into the world not, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. John 12.47 says, I will judge. No, what does it say? I will, I will not judge. I will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me, for I have come to save the world and not to judge it. Jesus' job when he came 2,000 years ago was not to judge the world. And if we're following him, what makes us think that it's our job to judge the world? James 4.12 says, God alone who gave the laws the judge, he alone has the power to save or to destroy so what right do you have to judge your neighbor? Matthew 7, 1 to, 12, 1 to 2 says, Do not judge others or you will be judged. This one, this one rocks me. Do not judge others or you will be... Do not judge others and you will not be judged. Sorry. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. You know, I actually get sadness in my heart when I see followers of Jesus feeling like they need to be the judge of the world. Because I start to think, are they going to be able to stand under their their own judgment, their own level of scrutiny, their own level of judgment? Can they even stand under it? Because the measure that we we judge is the measure that we we will be judged. Pastor Mark spoke on uh, Romans 2.4 a few weeks back. I just want to highlight this quick. Um, It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? This turning, this change of mind, this change of direction. If our heart is actually to help people turn and change direction, maybe we could take a cue from God and from Jesus Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? His kindness is intended to turn you. And even as we looked at that passage a few weeks ago, I was was considering the word tolerance and how what's being said here is far different than what our world means when it says tolerance. In our world, when we say tolerance, it just means accept everything. Everything is fine. But we see here tolerance is specifically intended to produce change. You see that difference? It's actually kindness, patience, tolerance that God uses 
to produce change in our lives. It's not patience and tolerance because he's okay with us just staying the way we are. No, God actually believes that through patience, kindness, tolerance, he's giving us the best opportunity to change course and change direction. If it's our heart to actually help bring change to others' li- other lives, maybe we can take a cue from God and increase our kindness, our tolerance, our patience as we deal with others. And lastly, let's look at Romans 12 really quick. Romans 12, 17 to 21 says, Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. In my notes here, I highlighted everyone can see because that's the, you know, the epitome of um, you know, online dialogue. If everyone sees you, are you honorable? Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Anybody got a road rage problem here? Just, you know, confession time. I, I, I have a slight road rage problem. I'll, I'll confess it. It is hard with only one hand. Uh, have you ever gotten really frustrated behind the wheel and you pulled up beside someone to catch the ride? Can, can, let, me, let, me get a, let me get some company up here. Anybody done this or is it just me? Okay, you're frustrated, someone did something, it ticks you off, and you need to pull up beside them because you've got to catch their eye just to make sure that they know that what they just did was not okay. How many of you have ever been greeted by that person with a wave and a smile? <laughs> Has it happened to you? It's happened to me. It makes me feel terrible. It makes me analyze my heart. It makes me look in the mirror. If I get greeted with the, with the finger, I feel justified. I'm like, ah, oh, see? And, and, then, and then the rage increases. That's what happens. But if I get gr- greeted with a smile and a wave, I feel disarmed. I feel like I need to look in the mirror. I feel like I need to change. In Romans 12, it says... If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And that's what I experience in those moments. And I would suggest to you, is fighting, is arguing, is being right actually what's going to produce change in somebody's life? Or is grace, is love, is kindness, is patience, is tolerance actually what's going to put the burning coals on someone's head, so to speak? Is that what's actually going to help them look in the mirror? Is that what's actually going to change the way they look at the world? And people might, you know, look at these pastors and they say, but Jesus offended people all the time. And that's true. Jesus did offend a lot of people. But all I'd say in response to that is, Not all offenses are the same. That why you and I offend people is very important. What they get offended about is very important. Jesus offended people 
you know, often because he was extending grace, because he was healing, often on the Sabbath. You know, religious folks were the ones that were getting angry with him. You know, he, had, he said strong words to people, but it was always directed to individuals. So what are some practical takeaways here? I just want to suggest a couple things as we close. This is a very, you know, practical talk, and I would encourage you to look at Matthew 18, Matthew 13 further and just consider, God, is there some way that I need to live, manage my conversations, conflict, my soapboxes online, um, even the way I do one-on-one relationships differently than I'm doing right now? Can I go directly to a person? Can I actually let go of the need of having to weed out evil and I'm actually doing damage in the, the process? And so some questions I would ask. Am I communicating what I'm for or what I'm against? I think the church is often known more for what it's against than what it's for. And so if we do step out to communicate, to comment, to say something, are we speaking to what we're for? Do people know us for the things that we're about, not the things that we're against? If you ask somebody on the street, you know, what's the church against? How long would that list be? And if you said, what's the church for? How long would that list be? Can we be known for what we're for than what we're against? Maybe another practical piece here. Never argue with stupid people. They will drag you down to your level and beat you with experience. That's a quote from Mark Twain. But Mark Twain didn't realize he was actually quoting Proverbs 26, verse 4, which says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. And there's been many times where I decided to enter into a foolish conversation and I ended up feeling like a fool at the end of it. Like that wasn't worth it. Another question I'd ask, do I have a personal relationship with this person? If no, don't post and don't comment. That's what I would say. If yes, don't post, meet them face-to-face, or at least talk on the phone. What is my desired outcome? I think that's a great question. Before you send that email, before you send that text, before you make that comment, before you reply to that thing, what is my desired outcome? Do I truly want what's best for the person? Do I truly want to see change in their life? If so, maybe kindness, tolerance, patience is a better way to go about it. Or am I concerned about how I look? Or have I been hurt and I'm simply just trying to hurt them back? Be honest with yourself. What's my intended outcome? What's the point of me responding? Am I just trying to hurt them back? Am I concerned about how I look? Or do I I actually care about the other person? If so, there's probably a better way to go about the response. How would I want to be treated? I think that's just a great question. Am I communicating to an individual or a group? If you're communicating to an individual, deal with it privately. If you're communicating with a group, you know, what I would say is, is there somebody in the group that you can have a conversation with? Do you, do you know individuals from that group, whatever that group might be? And if you don't, is it that helpful for you to throw in your comments from the outside? Change always, change always takes root better when it comes from within than from without. And lastly, I think this is a great question to ask. Is there a chance that I'm wrong or at fault? Shocker. 
Why do we, when we read Matthew 13 and we, we think about the weeds and the wheat, why do we always assume that we're the wheat? You know, don't we? we? We read a parable, we always put ourselves in like the, you know, the more optimistic, generous side of the parable, but do we consider that there's a chance that there's some weeds and wheat both growing in me? That I might be at fault, that I'm not perfect, and if you're a follower of Jesus, the reason you're a follower of Jesus is because at some point you had admitted that you weren't perfect that you needed help, that you needed someone to follow, you needed grace, you needed forgiveness. And if you needed grace, tolerance, forgiveness, patience, kindness, then who are we not to extend that to someone else who's like us? Is there a chance that I'm wrong or I'm at fault? There's at least a chance. And there's at least a chance that your heart's not totally in the right place. So let's move forward with humility. Let's seek face-to-face interaction, especially when it comes to conflict and the potential of being misunderstood. Let's not feel like we need to judge the world because it's not our job. God put us here to extend his kingdom, which advances through love, through grace, through kindness, through patience. As we close, um, we're just going to play a song. And the lyrics will be on the screen. And in light of the context that we're talking about, I would just invite you to consider what... uh, what this means for you practically, and maybe the lyrics of the song will will help guide your thoughts. I love the second verse in that song. It says, I used to think I needed all the answers. I used to need to know that I was right. I used to be afraid of things I couldn't cover up in black and white. It's a very practical sermon, uh, but I think it's very timely. You know, if, if people looked through our text messages, our emails, our comments, our posts, our statuses, what's the overarching narrative that they would read? Would they get this theme, this narrative of, of kindness and grace and patience and tolerance and love, this Jesus-likeness? Or would they get a narrative of criticism and soapboxes and opinions and division? If someone went and said, hey, I'm going to look at all the comments and posts and statuses of Sun Westers, what would be the heartbeat that they would read in that narrative corporately? And it's my prayer and my hope that in my life and our life as a community um, that people wouldn't come across you know, individuals and a community that needs to feel the need to judge the world, but one that has enough grace and love that's overflowing to give away. That's what I hope. Let me pray. Uh, as, I, as I pray, I'm going to invite uh, our prayer team forward to the front left here. Uh, we also have prayer in the foyer now as well. And so after the service, if you want prayer about anything, uh, we just encourage you to come to the front here or at the back or in the corner in the hallway um, and pray with one of our awesome uh, prayer team mem- members. Father, we just, 
We thank you that you're so kind and gracious and patient and loving with us. Lord, we thank you that when, for those of us who have chosen to follow you, that that transformed us, that your love and your grace transformed us. Lord, we follow you not because we're afraid or because we have to. We follow you because you've actually wooed us. We've actually been transformed by your love, by your grace. And we thank you that you got so much of it that we don't need to cling to it just for ourselves, that we actually get to give it away. And I pray that the words that we say, the things that we type, the activities that we're a part of, as people observe us, Lord, that they would see you. They would see your spirit. They would see Jesus, that we would actually be the vessel of what you're doing in this world, your hands, your feet, your voice. And Lord, I pray for those of us who maybe as we consider um, what we've said, either personally or online, Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to go back and clean up stuff where we tried to weed your garden for you and realized maybe in retrospect that that wasn't our job. Lord, I pray that you give us the courage to have conversations, to ask for forgiveness, to mend bridges where that's necessary. Lord, lastly, we just thank you again for the moms, uh, for the females that um, are mentoring or leading small groups, the aunties, the grandmas. Uh, Lord, the these people that you've strategically placed in our lives to reveal your nurturing and, character, and caring character. Lord, that we understand who you are more clearly because of them. And so, Lord, I pray that they would feel blessed and honored this morning. And we just thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, the prayers uh, teams are available for you. Uh, if you are... Uh, female, please grab one of our pack, packages of seeds and uh, go plant them. And I think it's okay to weed them I, if you want to. I, don't, don't take the metaphor too far.